chapter 32, The Tower. Leah woke from a dream of Maasai warriors to find herself in the company of the three most extraordinary beings that she had ever seen. They loomed over her, dark-skinned and golden-eyed in the pale dawn light, leaning on their staves, and spoke to each other in a language that sounded like the wind in the trees. They were taller than humans, broad-shouldered and strong, with narrow hips and tapering legs, and their skin was covered, as far as she could make out, with a coat of hair so fine that it in no way obscured their features or the definition of their muscular limbs. Their faces were longer than a human face, wide across the temples and tapering to a narrow chin, and their eyes were heavy-lidded, deep-set under heavy brows, which gave them an expression of gravity. Their noses were both broad and long, and their mouths bow-shaped, thin-lipped and relatively small. She had seen faces like that in the museum once, ancient heads carved from stone. Their hands were elegant, with a distinctive gap between the index and middle finger. Their feet, which were longer and wider than human feet, were similarly splayed. The she, Leah thought. She wondered if they were hostile, but even without species sensitivity training, it seemed obvious that they had come looking for Ronan and were surprised to find someone else in his place. Very cautiously, she sat up in the nest of furs. I'm Leah, she said, Ronan's sister. One of the she stepped forward and went down on one knee and kissed her hand. He looked into her eyes with a smile that utterly transformed his face. Leah thought that she had never seen a more beautiful smile. I am Foylon, he said. He pressed his lips to her hand again. It is a pleasure to meet you. He had an earthy smell, strong but not unpleasant, that reminded her of Fenugreek. Do you know where we can find Ronan? His brothers, or at least the beings that so closely fitted Martha's description, lurked threateningly in the background. All three wore rough jerkins of woven wool lined with fur. Their garments reached to mid-thigh level and left their arms free. Leah shook her head. I'm looking for him too. Someone said that he was in the tower, but I don't know where that is. The brothers muttered to each other in their own language. The tower, Foylon translated, is the stronghold of Carmoil. This is bad news. It will be defended. His pronunciation was almost perfect. Leah, he said. What do you intend to do when you find your brother? I want to bring him home. Foylon sighed. Here we have a conflict of interests. I too want to bring him home, but my home is in Ildahach. It is not clear to me what we should do. Your world is dying, but that is where his family is. Can't you come back to our world and live with him there? No. The she can't live in the human world. There is something about it that erodes our health. Here, it is the opposite. Humans live longer and healthier lives in Ildahuk 
than they do in their own world. But we lose our sense of time, that is true, Quaylon admitted. But so long as the human is not being deceived, a lack of perspective about time is not necessarily a bad thing. He sat down beside Leah in the alcove. We must let Ronan decide. But first, he needs to be released, and for that we need a plan. Unfortunately, I am a terrible strategist, and everything that I have done so far seems only to have made things worse. His brothers exchanged glances. The Togon clan will kill us if they find us, Huelon said. Trian and Aid are fighters, but they can't take on an entire clan. There was a movement at the doorway, and the brothers turned, weapons at the ready. Morning, said Kit. I brought you some breakfast. For you also. She nodded politely at the three she and greeted them in their own language. The hut filled with the smell of fresh bread. This is Kit, Leah said. She is the gatekeeper in waiting. Aid and Trian put down their weapons and the five beings, two humans and three she, sat cross-legged on the rushes. Kit took a cloth from her basket and spread it between them. She broke the bread into five pieces and laid it on the cloth with a hunk of cheese and a bunch of onions. Leah would have loved a cup of tea, but it didn't seem wise to light a fire. Right, said Kit, when the food was finished. What is the she protocol around human hostages? Are family members allowed to visit? Yes, said Foylon, it is permitted. So, the best plan is for Leah to visit her brother, which is the reason why she's here, and then she can ask him if he will stay in Eldach with you or return to the human world. Agreed, Foylon said. He turned to Leah. There has been an exchange of hostages, and Ronan will not be released until the Togon hostage is returned. Normally we would honour this agreement, but we do not trust the person who gave your brother as hostage to the she. His name is Ethan Blake. I know who Ethan Blake is, Leah said. I don't trust him either. We will respect Ronan's decision. Either way, if you can help him escape, we will bring him to a place of safety. But this needs to be done quickly. The Togon hostage is in the human world with Ethan Blake. If she dies in his custody, the Togon she will kill your brother. Right, said Leah, rising to her feet. Show me the way. Poilon embraced her, affectionately stroking her hair and arms. You are like him and not like him. Another human, Leah thought, would never touch me in this way, especially if we'd only just met. But it seemed quite normal to the she. You handled that well. Kit commented once they were out of earshot. They are more tactile than we are. I didn't get a chance to warn you. So, that's the new boyfriend. What do you reckon? Leah thought about it. Are they all that charming? Plenty of them are, said Kit, but they hardly ever fall in love, even with each other, and almost never with a human. There's a massive taboo against it. How come? 
It's partly prejudice. The Xi are very polite, but most of them have no respect for humans. It's like being with really well-mannered racists. You know they loathe you, but they hide it very well. They're not all like that, but it's common enough. I don't think Ronan would even notice, Leah reflected. Her brother was notoriously oblivious to the way that people felt about him. They love differently too, Kit continued. Like I said, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's absolute and permanent. If Ronan accepts Huelon, it's for life. And if he doesn't? Kit shrugged. If Ronan rejects him, then Foylan will probably die. The she actually do die of broken hearts. It's not just a turn of phrase. That's why relationships with humans are forbidden. We are dangerous to love. Leah paused, wondering if she too was dangerous to love. She certainly had been in the past. Do you know what? she said after a while. Ronan is the most emotionally consistent person that I know. They came to the gates of Cahirmoyle. It looked like a medieval Irish tower house, grim and almost featureless, five stories high, tapering slightly from its base with small slit windows. Leah remembered the poem, The Green and Ancient Tower Where Dreadful Things Have Been. Yep, said Kit brightly, that's the one. In our world, they built a house onto it in the 17th century, knocked it down in the 19th and built another. That's the one we're living in, but the she don't do home improvements. In their world, they just left it like it was. A she stood in the doorway, spear raised in challenge. Kit called out a greeting in the whistling language, and the she lowered her weapon and came to meet them. We'll speak in English, Kit whispered to Leah. Their language is almost impossible for humans, but it's polite to try. She turned to the she, who was tall and slender with a honey-coloured pelt, and bowed. The she bowed back. Gatekeeper-in-waiting. This is Leah Lawless, sibling of the hostage. She would like to see her brother. The she nodded assent, and Leah followed her up the steps, glancing back at Kit. I can't cross the threshold, Kit said. I'll come back for you in a couple of hours. Take your time. The stairs spiralled unevenly upward, punctuated by doorways. Through one of these, Leah glimpsed a great hall, magnificent in size, but utterly devoid of decoration. There were rushes on the floor and a fine vaulted ceiling, but no furnishings other than a trestle table and benches around the walls. The atmosphere was cold and dank. The she-guard whistled impatiently through her teeth, and Leah followed her, up three further flights of stairs, to a small room with a wooden door, which she pushed unceremoniously open. She went in. Leah was quite unprepared for the sight of her brother naked, but Ronan had become used to she-habits. He strode across the room and embraced his sister delightedly. Leah! The lawless family mythology was that Leah adored Ronan, 
while Ronan barely noticed Leah's existence. It wasn't entirely true. Ronan was very fond of his sister. He just didn't think about her unless they were in the same room, apart from a few times when she'd been in danger. Then some sibling sense kicked in. Gingerly, Leah returned the hug. Don't you have any clothes? I'm not cold, said Ronan, and then, seeing the expression on her face, he retrieved a jerkin, much like the ones that Foylon and his brothers had worn. Are mum and dad okay? They're fine, Leah said. They miss you, but they're both well. It was just that we didn't know where you were. She had imagined this moment of reunion so many times, envisaging recriminations and tears, but the reality of it was unexpectedly ordinary. Ronan looked well. He was thinner and physically stronger, but fundamentally the same. She had never seen him with a beard before, but it suited him. His hair was long and tied back from his face. It's not fair, she thought. Why did he get ringlets when I got frizz? What's so funny? asked Ronan. I like your hair, said Leah, giggling hysterically. Ronan still wasn't sure what the joke was. Leah slid her back down the wall until she was sitting on the floor and took a deep, sobering breath. I met Foylon, she said, closely watching her brother's face. Ronan looked mildly interested. Where is he? Waiting for you, at your hut. His brothers are with him. They've been back to our world and they went to see Da. Mam was out at work, but Trevor was there, luckily enough. So everyone knows where you are and why you didn't get in touch, and they all know about Foylon. Ronan? She paused. Have you always been gay? No, said Ronan. This is something different. Do you love him? Ronan thought about it for a moment. I'm not sure. We've only just met. He wants to be with you, Ronan, here in Ildahak. He says that you need to choose. Either you go home with me or you stay here with him. That seems reasonable, said Ronan, but I don't know the answer yet. Let's go and find him. There's a guard on the door. I know a back way. Human servants entered and left the castle by means of a tunnel that led from the kitchen to the woods near their village at Ballyduane. It would be logical to guard it, but the she ethos around hostages was heavily based on honour, and he did not think that it would occur to him that he might escape through the servants' tunnel. Ronan prepared to leave. What about your stuff? Ronan shrugged. Don't have any. Leah gaped. Ronan was never seen without a backpack, containing several items of talismanic significance. He frequently mislaid it. Its absence caused immediate distress, and, quite literally, never left home without it. Yet, here he was, blithely escaping an alien stronghold without a single belonging to his name. It was her first inkling of how much Ildahuch had changed him. Ronan was right about the security arrangements. They met no one on the stairs and passed quietly by the front entrance where the guard stood in the doorway looking out 
and down the steep and narrow stairs to the kitchen. Fortunately, it was deserted and the door was not locked. They stooped to get through a doorway that had been built by humans many centuries before and followed a brick-lined tunnel that sloped gently upwards and emerged by a tumble-down building in the woods. Leah was disorientated, but Ronan knew exactly where he was going and strode down the path, barefoot, like the she. Ronan? Leah asked, puzzled. If you could just walk out of here, why didn't you? You could have gone home. I suppose so, said Ronan, but I told Foylan that I'd wait for him here. Leah had forgotten the implacability of her brother's logic. What if the Togon she catch us? They won't hurt me. Hostages can't be harmed. What about me? Leah thought. I'm not a hostage. Ronan put his arm around her shoulder. You'd be okay too, but Fuelon and his brothers wouldn't. They're outlaws. Because of you? Yes, because of me, but I think that it could have been managed differently. Fuelon's reckless and he doesn't think things through, but he's the eldest, so his brothers defer to him. They paused at the edge of the clearing beside Ronan's hut. There was no sign of the she, hostile or otherwise. Then... Foylon stepped silently from behind a tree. He took Ronan in his arms. Leah looked away. The intensity of it embarrassed her, but Ronan didn't seem to mind. They're kissing, she thought. Proper kissing. Historically, Ronan had a high turnover of girlfriends, but he had never kissed any of them in front of her. Leah stared determinedly at the waterfall. Something whistled, bird-like, on the other side of the clearing. Fuelon looked up and whistled back twice. Aid and Trian emerged from the trees, leading four slender horses. Fuelon turned to Ronan. Will you come with us? I need more time. Ronan hated being put on the spot, and rushing him into decisions was always a bad idea. His hands had begun to stim, and his eyes had that disengaged look that Leah recognised as the precursor to precipitate action. This, she thought, should be avoided. Every moment that they hung around put Foylon and his brothers in danger, and Ronan going off on one was the last thing they needed. We'll both come, she said quickly. Ronan can decide later when we're somewhere safe. Without looking around, she felt his tension diffuse. Five horses, five riders, said Trian, indicating a large white pony roaming untethered at the edge of the clearing. Your bastard pony found us again. Hobie had clearly been out all night. His fetlocks were caked with mud and there were burrs in his tail. He looked around with interest as Ronan climbed aboard. You have no bridle, Leah objected. Doesn't make a blind bit of difference, said Ronan, taking a double handful of mane. He does what he wants, with or without one. Leah turned away from the very entertaining sight of her brother on his pony as Foylon held the black mare's bridle for her to mount. Her name is Dove, he said. She is very gentle very fast.
The mare shook her head and danced, desiting her rider's grip on the reins. Leah held her with a light hand, almost laughing with the joy of being on a horse again. The saddle was cloth, so close-fitted that it felt like riding bareback, with soft loops instead of stirrups. They were made for legs that were longer than hers, but Leah didn't think that it mattered. She thought of Kit and hesitated. There was no knowing how long she would be gone, and no way of leaving a note. The sprig of crab apple was withered now, but Leah leant down from the mare's back and wedged it between the stones at the doorway of the hut in the hope that Kit would find it there. Your friend will be safe, Foylon said, watching her. A gatekeeper cannot be harmed, even the Togon she respected. That's all very well, thought Leah, as they left the clearing at a trot. But here I am, leaving before we've even started. How's that going to work? Behind them, somewhere in the direction of the castle, a horn sounded. You have been missed, Trian said. He turned to his brothers, said something succinct in she, and galloped off into the forest with aid following after. They will head off the pursuit and meet us later, Foylon explained. I have a plan. I hope it's better than the last one, Ronan thought. He had very little faith in Foylon's ability to formulate plans. <laughs>